0: Spend time looking at three other verses that um, I'm going to read from your handout. So it may be helpful, instead of finding the references in your Bible, just to look at the handout. I'll read 12, 1 and 2, and then I'll read the ones that we'll use also in our sermon today. We're thinking about how our mind needs to be engaged in this war against sin And you'll see how these verses, uh, tie that together. Let's stand as we read God's word together. Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hebrews 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Ephesians 5 verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And Romans 13:14. Do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on this word together. We'll dismiss the kindergarten and first graders. And as I said, it'll be helpful for you to have your handout as we follow along in the text today. If you were to picture in your mind a fortress. If you just thought, what, what, what would be included in this picture in my mind of a fortress? Probably one thing that would be included in the picture would be some kind of tower. Some sort of watchtower that somebody could stand in and look over not only the fortress, but the surrounding area. If you think of a prison If you could picture a prison in your mind, almost all pictures would include a watchtower where the prison officer or the warden would stand and and look over the grounds of the prison. Some of you have been in the mountains of North Carolina, and if you're a forester and you are managing a certain area of the forest, you'll notice that at some strategic high place is a fire tower. And you walk up the zigzag stairs to the top. So as a forester, you're managing this area, and you can manage it by by having a, a high view of looking out across the forest. And the reason you'd have these towers really are for the same reason: the the watchman up in the tower is supposed to see something going on that could be a potential hot spot. And then radio down or communicate down to the rest of the forces and say, let's see if we can attack that. or let's see if we can move away from that issue. They're the, the warning sign of trouble. Chris Lungard in his book, The Enemy Within, says this. If you want to overthrow a fortress, start by knocking out the watchman. If he can warn others, you will, if he can't warn others, you will easily breach the wall and carry the day. Each of the facilities of your soul has duties to God. The mind is the sentinel, the watchman of the soul. Each of the facilities of your soul has a duty to God, and the mind is the sentinel or the watchman of the soul. In this series, the last couple of Sundays, really what we've been trying to get our minds wrapped around is how is it that sin works? How does it work generally? How does it work specifically in your life? And as you understand what its plan is, then you can sort of formulate a defensive strategy against that. I see that and I have my defenses up. And this week, we're sort of turning the corner on how would we offensively move towards or against sin. And the first place that uh, we need to start is having a good mind. If we're going to have a good offensive strategy, we have to have a good mind. Paul knows this because in Colossians 3, 2, he says this. Since you have been raised with Christ now, now that you're a new creation, now that you understand the information about Christ, and you're a new creation, he says this, set your minds on things above, on earthly things. And when he uses the word set your mind, he means fence in your mind. Put a a guard around your mind. Don't just let anything come into your mind. You have to fence it off in some way. Romans 12, the passage that we read, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't fashion yourself after the world any longer. When you were a non-believer, you went out to the world and you got all of your cues on how you would live, how you would dress, what you would drive. All kinds of issues in your life were driven by the world and you fashioned yourself after the world. And now he's saying, now that you're a new creation, don't fashion yourself after the world anymore, but be transformed. In the the Greek, this is metamorphosis. You know this word from a a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. The idea is you had one sort of form or fashion. And now that you've gotten into Christianity, you're going to transform. And how is that transformation going to take place? By the renewing or another way to say this is a, the renovation of your mind. If you've ever renovated a room or renovated a house, what do you do? You go in, you assess what needs to be ripped out. And you begin to tear out all the old stuff and then you put, begin to put new things in. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here in Romans 12. Paul knows that a new watchman has to be installed in the mind in order for us to have a new pattern. If we don't have a new watchman, we're going to fashion ourselves after the world. And so he's saying, now that the Holy Spirit is in you, you need to fence in your mind. You need to have a new watchman. Remember Peter in in Mark chapter 8? You remember this passage? Jesus has taken them to um, Caesarea Philippi and he's asking the disciples this question. Who do other people say that I am? Remember that? And then he says, well, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, you're right, Peter. And then at that moment is the first time Christ is very clear on what his mission is. He's going to hand himself over. He's going to be crucified and he's going to die. And on the third day, he's going to raise from the grave. And what does Peter immediately say? Remember, he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him and he says, no, we're not going that way. And you remember what Jesus says? Get behind me, Satan. Remember what he says? For you have the things of the world in your mind, not the things of God. You see what Jesus was looking at Peter and saying, you still got a worldly mind. You're thinking from a worldly mindset. You think I'm here to overthrow the Roman government. Peter, I'm here to overthrow the sin in your own soul. You have to have a a different way of thinking because we're going to be battling against this together. And it's not going to be this worldly power that we're going to be using. We're going to be using spiritual power for that to happen. So let's focus here on these three verses. Hebrews 2, Ephesians 5, and then again in Romans 13. As we pick up some clues, and I'm going to try to be as practical as I can here, so you can think about how can I begin to really practically put some things together for myself. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, which is a great, great verse for preachers. Therefore, we must pay much closer Attention. That's a great verse for preachers. Lean in. Something's being said. And for us to have a new watchman, we have to pay close attention to what we have heard. If we don't, we're going to drift away. We're, we're supposed to pay closer attention. In, in the Greek, above ordinary. You just have the ordinary pay attention. Yeah, I'm getting the information. Yeah, that's fine. Good enough. He's not talking about that kind of listening. He's saying, I need an above ordinary effort here. When you're hearing things about the gospel, when you're putting a new watchman in your mind, you've got to really think about these things. And he says, pay attention or it means hold in your mind. I love that picture. You're taking the gospel. You're taking the truth about God's word, and you're holding it in your mind. You're holding it there so you can look at it. You've fashioned your life around the world, and now you need to let that go and hold the truth of God in your mind. You can't just hear it once and say, I got it. You have to hold it there. You have to behold it. You know, if you're, if you're a, a lover, and you see your beloved, one of the things you want to do is you want to hold their face in your hand. And, you know, you've seen it maybe a thousand times. But but if, if Morgan comes and gives me a kiss goodnight, she just might want to give me the, I'm tired and I'm ready to go to bed. And I'll grab a hold of her. And I've seen her nearly every day. But I'm just going to, behold! I want to... Take it in. When we have the truth of the Word of God, we want to hold it in our mind. We need to roll it around in our mind. Because if we don't, we're going to drift away. And this is a word picture of a clay pot that has a crack in it and water is leaking out of it. So you get the truth. You don't really hold it in your mind. It just sort of leaks out. And then you have an empty vessel. If I could reword it, I would say it this way. With above ordinary effort, we have to hold in our minds the things that we have heard. Or they leak out like water through the cracks of a clay pot. If you're a student here. You listen to the teacher and you hear what they're saying. But it feels like it just leaks out of the back of your head. You ever had that feeling? I hear the words. But they, they're not in my mind. They just sort of come in and leak out on the back. Or if you're like this, if you're a student and you cram for a test. You ever been this way? You're cramming for this test, and it's you know three minutes before the teacher's going to hand you the exam, and you're going through some kind of list, and your friend wants to come up and chat with you. What do you say? Shut up! <laughs> Why? Because I'm afraid it's going to leak out of my mind. I don't want it to leak out before the test gets in front of me. And that's that picture. You really haven't beheld the information. You don't have it. You just stuffed it in there and you're afraid it's going to leak out. If, you, if you're a child here. Of any age. You ever heard this? Your parents come to you and they say, I've told you what? A million times. And they sort of look at your head like, do you have an extra hole here? Because I know I've told you a million times and it's leaking out. And what they mean to say is, behold the information that I am giving you. Hold it into your mind. Don't let it leak out. Because I don't want to tell you a million and one times. We have to behold the information of God in our minds. We have to know what the truth is. You're like the watchman. You're up there and you're surveying surveying the world now. And the world comes in and attacks from all kinds of angles. And you have to know what the truth is. You have to hold it in your mind. And you have to press it up against that truth. And say, what am I holding on to? The writer of Hebrews knows that if you don't make an extraordinary effort to hold this in your mind, the watchman is not going to be in the tower. And the walls of your life are easily going to be breached. You're just going to drift away and fall into sin. Let me give you a couple of things that I think will be helpful, especially if you're a parent here, especially if you're a father our roles is to train up our children. You're, you're trying to help them hold the truth in their mind so that then that when they walk out your door, whether it's today or at year 18, they've got the truth. They're, they've held it in their mind for some time. And that's what we're trying to do with our children here. First of all, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, in order to really have the right mind, we have to hold the Word of God in our mind. Dallas Willard, a professor, And popular Christian writer says this, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, if I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization. Because it is a fundamental way of filling our minds with what it needs. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Quoting Joshua, that's where you need it. How does it get in your mouth? Memorization. Second, Timothy 316. All scripture is God breathed and it's useful. It's so useful, but you have to have it in your mind. It's useful for correcting and rebuking. It's useful for training It's useful for teaching so that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Anything that happens in your field of of reference. You're like the mind in the watchtower and it's useful. Anything that enters in, you know how to deal with it. Scripture memorization. Repetition. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, this is written on your uh, outline. These commands... That I give you today. Moses is giving the people of God the commands of God. These commands that I'm giving you today are to be upon your hearts. How do they get on my hearts? Well, you impress them on your children. You talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road. When you lie down. When you get up. You tie them as symbols on your hands. You bind them on your foreheads. You write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Do you hear this, parents? Doesn't this sound like Moses saying, I'm going to tell you a million times because he knows that it's going to leak out. So I'm not just going to give you a tablet. I'm going to remind you. And when we walk along the way, I'm going to remind you. And when we sit down, I'm going to remind you. And I'm going to have him tie it around your body in some way. I'm going to do everything I can to help you remember The word of God by repetition. Repetition is the mother of all learning. You remember this from your times table. You didn't really even know what six what times six was. That you just knew six times six was thirty six. I mean, you didn't. You might not have any idea what that was talking about, but you just knew the answer was thirty six. You just had it in your mind, so that when you grew up, you said, "Okay, I'm I'm getting it." At the elders retreat, we were driving around Orlando and Greg Bev did such a great job of just pulling out pieces of the Bible and saying, hey, let's think about what we know. What are what are the what are the parts of the full armor of God? We're just driving around Orlando. I mean, you can be listening to the radio, you can be talking, but he says, hey, what are the full armor? of God? What's the full armor of God? You know what those are? Do you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Could you list those off in your mind? Poor Lee Taylor. We went out to dinner last night. And so I just picked this up and rattled Lee to death. And I said, "Okay, Lee, what are the Ten Commandments? What are the four main events in Genesis? Who are the four main men in Genesis? What are the fruit of the Spirit? And Lee did such a great job. He got almost all of them. Do you ever just, as you walk along the way, I mean, you don't need a set Bible study. You don't need two hours of, you know, uh, information before you get there. Just as you walk along the way, are you asking your kids, hey, tell me something about this? Do you you know something about this? Let's just repeat it over and over and over again. So we just know it like a, a times table. So you need to have repetition And then you need to review it. So so there's some understanding. It's not just information. It's beginning to have some transformation. You're remembering it by memorization. You're repeating it over and over and over again. And then you're reviewing it to say, did you get it? Do you understand it? Now that you've got you say in the right information, do you really get it? On most Sundays, we go home and we talk about the sermon in some way. And last Sunday I was sitting with Morgan and we were just talking about the the, the consequence of sin. Remember what the goal of sin is? I said this last week. The goal of sin is death. That's all what sin wants at the end. And I said, Morgan, let's just let's just try to think about this. The goal of sin is death. Yeah, Dad. The goal of sin is death. Now Adam, he and Eve, they sinned and. What did that cause? How do we see death from that one sin? Well, we see death between their relationship and God. Yeah, well, we see death between their relationship with each other. How else do we see it, Morgan? Well, we see death between Cain and Abel. So it extends out into their family. Sin always grows. We see death. In all of humanity, we see death in the creation. In Romans 8, the creation is subjected to frustration. It lives in bondage to decay. Why? One sin. Adam and Eve. Your one sin. Do you see this? It's no small thing. It ends in death and it's always growing. So I want my daughter to see that. Zachary, when we talked about uh, enticement, remember that was a, like a lure. It was like a hunting term or a fishing term. And he likes to fish. And I said, well, Zachary, what are in your magazines some of the kinds of things they do to make the lure really attractive? Oh, oh, oh. They've got this little air gun that you stick into a worm and blow it up. And it makes it like twice its size. So I guess a, a skinny worm is good, but a real big fat worm is twice as good. And I said, first of all, isn't that just like sin? It's bigger than it actually is. You think it's something so grand. And when you bite into it, you know it's going to be satisfying and it shrinks. It shrinks. And it's really not that satisfying. And then I said, well, we're sitting at the table. What lures do you go for? And Nancy said, why don't you start? (laughs) So I started. And we went oldest to youngest around the table. What lures when they come across your screen, Dad... Do you want to bite on to? Mom? Dads? Moms? I want to give you a warning right now. Romans 7. When I want to do good, what? Evil is right there with me. And I'm sure right now, most of you would say, I would want to do that, Paul. But I'm just not like that. I'm just not that smart. I don't know that information. Therefore, I should wait a little while. That's a lie. Hold that in your mind and say that is a lie from the devil. You know enough. Just from listening to a sermon to say, well, let's just review these verses. Let's just think about this. Or just it might be an exercise in humility to say, I don't know what the fruit of the Spirit is. I don't know the Ten Commandments. I don't know the four Gospels. I don't know which two of those talk about the Christmas story and which two don't. So it can just be an exercise with your family to say, I don't know these things. How can you help me know them? As a family, you can work together. So please don't leave saying, oh, that would be so nice to be in Paul's family because he could just do all that. You can do it. It's not rocket science. It's just a willing disposition to walk alongside your family everywhere you go and help you and your children hold in their minds. Because if you don't, please hear me, The world is doing everything it can to hold the mind of your child. Every commercial, every show is showing a philosophical worldview and it's trying to get their minds as well as yours. We have to memorize scripture. We have to repeat it. We have to review it so we understand it. Ephesians 5 verse 15. Remember, I'm going to do this with the people who are here. Let's do a little review. Ephesians, when we work through Ephesians, Ephesians broke up into two different sides. He had the first three chapters talking about one thing and then the last three chapters talking about another. The first three were doctrine. The last three were duty. The first three were belief. The last three were behavior. And so we get to, to Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, now that you have all this doctrine, now walk in a manner worthy of your high calling. Ephesians 4, one, And then Ephesians 5, it says this. Try to discern or try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. This doesn't come to your mind. Well, I'm a Christian and now I must know what's pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't work that way. Ephesians five fifteen. See then that you walk circumspectly. That's the Greek word. You're looking around. You're not walking foolishly. When you walk around, you pay attention to your surroundings so you don't bump into something. You're looking all the way around your life like a watchman would. They can see 360 degrees around your life. So you have to use your heads and say, I'm looking around and looking at my life. I'm looking at the world. Nancy teaches at Cape Fear Academy and she teaches this um, learning skills or critical thinking. And she's just basically with these younger kids trying to help them learn to discern. That's her goal. Come in here. And just learn to be discerning. So when you interface with information, it's discerning. And so when she comes in front of a class, she says, okay, now, when you hear information, you have one of these two responses. And then she gives this face. You either respond like this. Kind of the duh. I'm just like a sponge. I'm not discerning. I'm just absorbing. Or like this. I'm thinking. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm discerning. I'm trying, I'm trying to hold it into my mind. I'm trying to see if it's the right thing. You have to be that in this congregation. You can't just be like this in front of me. Now, none of you are right now. I can see all of your faces. You have to be discerning. You have to hold it in your mind. What I say must be held up against the scripture. And so we have to be discerning. Paul uses this language in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take every thought captive. It's that same idea. A thought comes across and you captivate the thought. And you say, okay, now let me think about this thought according to what God would have me think. A couple of examples that are fairly easy to see. Again, trying to... Think about it in the culture, also thinking about it with your kids. The Old Testament name for God. Well, the the Bible's name for God, but it's said in the Old Testament. You remember what it is? Yahweh. Or if you put it in English, you know what it is? I am. Moses says, what's your name? God says, I am. On the corner, Monkey Junction, we drive by that almost every day. And I say, kids, let's look at the name of this day spa up here. What's the name of the day spa? I am. Now, I don't know the owners of the day spa. But I don't know where else you get that name. And do you see the worldview in conflict here? Only God is, I am, ever present. And they're trying to tell you, no, come in and at least for a little while, I am. You can ride into that place. That's a lie. I want to point those things out in my own mind and in the mind of my kids. So that when they see that, they're not going, duh. <laughs> they're paying attention because it comes across the screen all the time. I'm watching a new show, and it's about violence, sexual violence in public schools. The news anchor brings on a professor from Temple University who's got a Ph.D. in I don't something that makes him an expert. And the news anchorman says, well, we obviously have a problem. What do you think the solution is to our public schools? And he says, well, I think we need more counselors. We don't have the right ratio of counselors to students, which is fine. And then he said, and we also, without breaching the church-state divide, we need to have morality training. Okay, now you're discerning. What would you say now? This would happen every day on television. Would you go, yes, we do need morality training. Think. At least you should say, whose morality are we going to train our kids underneath? But do you think the anchor asked that question? Actually, he did. So I leaned in and I could not wait for this expert answer. And the answer was, uh, he couldn't answer. He fumbled and went around and said, well, I just don't think the church should be involved. And I think as a culture, we can come up with it. Do you hear? These are the experts. These are the smartest people we have. And they understand that we can't get the church involved. We can just sort of come up with it as a culture. And Robbie Zacharias, a great apologist, always asks this question to the person who says things like this. You know, sir, in one culture, a man asks his neighbor over to have dinner. And in another culture, a man asked his neighbor over to eat him for dinner. Which one would you prefer? You have to know which standard, because if you're asking me over for dinner, I might come. But if you're asking me over to eat me for dinner, then I might not come. We have to understand which standard we can't just say the cultural standard. Do you want to live by Adolf Hitler's standard? You see, our culture demands that we have freedoms and then we look at our public schools and we wonder what's got wrong. And the experts are mystified. And the psalmist says this, 119, when I run in the path of your commands, you set my heart free. When you run in the path of God's commands, you want freedom? There it is. That's the that's the recipe for it. We we have to just learn to discern. We can't just absorb information. You have to hold it in your mind. You have to be holding the truth in your mind. And you have to be bumping it up against Christ. Romans 13. And finally, make no provision for the flesh or in the NIV. Don't even think about how to gratify the sinful nature. Kids, you're in your house. You haven't done anything yet. Your parent looks at you. And they say. Don't even think about it. (laughs) You haven't done anything yet. And then you say. Well I haven't done anything. And your parents say. I know what you're thinking. And they don't say. Don't do it. They say, don't even think about it. And why? Because they know, maybe something that you don't, that when an action happens, a thought has happened long before that action. And once you get that planted in your mind, it begins to make its way into an action plan every time. Dallas Willard says this again in a very haunting quote. When you hear stories about men and women who have, as we say, fallen, I hope you will realize the sad thing is not just that they fell, but what has been in their mind all along. Possibly for many years or even all their life. You have thoughts. That's the beginning They all don't work themselves out to action. But that's the goal of sin. And so we must not even entertain it. We can't make the slightest provision for it. Don't even think about it. But if you noticed as a Christian that when you come across some sort of lustful thought or greed or envy or anger, when you hold on to that thought and say, you know what, I'm just not going to think about you right now. Does that work very often for you? I don't think it's ever worked for me. What it tends to do is make it grow. Well, I'm not going to think about it. Well, I'm thinking about it. Well, I'm not going to think about it harder right now. And it just grows and grows. And so something else must be held in my mind instead of that. And Paul knows that. Remember this verse, Philippians 4, 8, Whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is noble, if there's anything of excellence or anything praiseworthy, what does he say? Think, think about these things when you have those evil thoughts, say, I understand that, but I'm going to now think about something else. I'm going to start thinking about the Bible I'm going to start thinking about verses that I'm memorizing. I'm going to attack that thought proactively with the sword, which is the word of truth. Jesus in the 40 days in the desert, tempted by Satan. So thankful that he didn't do something miraculous that you and I couldn't have done. He gets tempted and he just quotes the Bible back to that temptation If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus, he's holding in his mind God. And God is more valuable than any temporary satisfaction. So the most valuable thing is God. I'm holding it in my mind. So when anything comes in, it's got to fit underneath that or be eliminated. The devil took him up to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And Jesus said, it's written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm I'm holding in my mind the word of God. I'm trusting in that Word over any other word. The devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world. All this I will give to you. If you will bow down and worship Me. And Jesus said, Away from Me, Satan. He didn't just say, No. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. I'm holding in my mind... God's eternal worth. And if anything else comes in to say, I'm worthwhile, no, not compared to this. If, if I could draw a little picture or you could draw a picture for me of the watchman now in your own life. Do, do you even have a tower Is somebody up there? Who's up there surveying the landscape as you go out today? Do you have a good watchman? Do you know the Word of God? Are you holding it in your mind right at the moment that evil comes in so you can see it for what it is? Are you reviewing it? Dads, are you helping your sons and daughters? Are you putting it in their minds so that when they walk out the front door, they have something to hold up against the culture that's flooding in when you're not there? It's fine to have a defensive posture at some point. But at some point, you have to have an offensive posture and begin to tackle these things if we're really going to put sin to death. Let's pray together. Lord, without the Holy Spirit, this is an exercise in futility. But but we're assuming in this sermon that these are believers. And so I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to come in and illumine something about this sermon. To challenge, to not let a, a natural thought be won out by an evil thought that comes right alongside of it. I'm praying for dads here. that They wouldn't believe the lie that, oh, I just can't do that. I'm praying, Lord, for the people who don't know you. And they're losing battles after battles and they have no idea how to win. They've bitten on to a big, fat, juicy worm that now has no taste. But it's reeling them in. Arrest that situation by a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, we thank you for the many gifts that you've given us. We pray that it helps in spreading the the light of the gospel around this city as we worship you with our tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name, amen.